Hello, and welcome back to another edition of the Daily Beacon Sports Podcast Network. Today, we are joined by my good friend, Owen Warden of the Red and Black, because Georgia is headed up to Neyland Stadium, along with SEC Nation and all of the eyes of everybody, to play uh, Tennessee at 3.30 on Saturday. So, Owen, I appreciate you joining me today. Why don't you just kind of introduce yourself and tell us about what y'all got going on in Athens? Yeah, hi, I'm Owen Warden. I'm one of the sports editors uh, over here at the Red and Black. And uh, yeah, no, we're, we're doing great stuff over here. Uh, having a lot of fun coming off of a great win against Ole Miss uh, that, you know, not only was just fun to cover just purely off the game, but, you know, the atmosphere at night, you know, Sanford was lit up, you know, everyone was was getting hyped for it. So, you know, that game was fun. But of course, at the Red and Black, we're doing great fun stuff uh you know volleyball still chugging along you got your equestrian and you got you got your uh your men's tennises and women's tennises going along a little bit of golf here and there and of course the soccer team making a run they're headed out to clemson um fairly soon to play iowa and clemson out there um so that'll be that'll be fun i'm curious to see how far they can go and you know they, they're coming off of an sec championship themselves and that was super fun to write about and that's been a fun team that was what that was the first team i started covering uh, when uh, I joined the Red and Black, is just a lowly beat writer, uh, and you know it was fun to hop back on that beat, cover them a little bit more. But you know we're doing great stuff, and you know as always, Caleb, it's a pleasure to be here with you, buddy. Awesome. I wish we were blessed with the opportunity to have Equestrian, <laughs> the one of the GAs in the athletic department last year, said that when he was at a te- I can't remember what Texas school I want to say TCU, they had to take headshots of every horse. <laughs> like players and then they'd have like the horse's position where the horse is from the horse's like height and weight and like what he likes to eat so i just want to know do, do the equestrian game notes at georgia have horse bios i don't think they have horse bios i'm going to be completely honest although i would love that i would love if they set up a like a multi thousand dollar a hundred thousand dollar you know, uh, Jumbotron set up. So that way, you know, before every game as they're introducing the starting lineup, you know, they got horses walking out of the, of the, the, the fog, you know, that they set up, you know, that would be the dream of course, uh, for, uh, of course, for equestrian coverage. And then you could have a horse press conference after like with the winning horse. Oh my goodness. To have one one or two of them sit up there, you know, just being able to talk to buttercup, you know, it would be just an absolute pleasure, uh, to be able to do that, you know, but unfortunately, alas, you only get to talk to coach and players when you're on that beat and get to sit on the hot sun, but you know what? It's all right. You know, a man can dream though. A man can dream. Yeah. I will keep dreaming about the equestrian. Hopefully we haven't lost too many listeners on our little horse tangent, but Let's dive right into this matchup, Owen. Carson Beck is a newer quarterback in the SEC, and Brock Bowers is a guy whose Tennessee fans remember from last year in the SEC. Tell me about this Georgia offense, Carson Beck, Brock Bowers. What have those guys kind of brought to this offense, and where would you say it kind of is compared to maybe last season? Yeah, I honestly would say it's kind of right where it needs to be. Uh, I think it's a, still a really, really good team. And, you know, it's easy to say that, especially coming off a big-time win, um, as they did. But Bowers has been as good as he's ever been. And, you know, he's missed a few games due to injury, but he came back, was already, like immediately impactful. Not the same level of impact, but he was immediately impactful still. And Carson Beck's thrown for 3,000 yards already. Um, and, you know, he's got two more games left. I highly doubt he's going to get over 4,000 in the regular season. But even still, 
he's been a really talented quarterback. He's been mobile. He's found a way to push the ball downfield. And even though, you know, he's kind of had the rack merchant uh, uh, kind of title tied to him a little bit, just because, you know, uh, the offense is very much designed around getting the ball to Bowers and McConkey and Dominic Lovett and, and space and letting them kind of work from there. Um, he's, he's still managed to push the ball downfield. You know, he's still managed to get, you know, 40, 40 yard deep bombs to, to launch a 50 yarder to Ladd McConkey. And even though it was a little underthrown, still managed to complete it. And it was still a big time play. So, you know, I wouldn't say they've elevated it because it was a national championship winning offense, but they've kind of allowed it not to take a step back. It was definitely slow. It's definitely started slow. And that's kind of been the trend for it is that they don't really get going all the way until the second half. But, you know, from a full standpoint, they've done really well for themselves. Um, and, you know, you can't complain too much, especially at this point, especially coming off of a 50-point victory over Ole Miss. Yeah, and like you said, the offense was a national championship winning offense, even though it wasn't as that flashy last year. I mean, people didn't talk about Georgia's offense. They talked about Georgia's defense, which – is what I want to pivot to now because thinking back to the Tennessee Georgia matchup last year, before Saturday, Georgia had held Josh Hypo to his lowest point total as a head coach ever last season. Tennessee went to Georgia, struggled with the noise, Hendon Hooker struggled to run the offense, and just nothing kind of went right for Tennessee that day. What's this defense look like this year compared to last? Is it still, you know, the best offense college football has ever seen, or has there been a step taken back there? I, I think it's kind of one of those things that, like, you know, again, you go from national championship winning defense, and I wouldn't say they're not on that level, but it's kind of one of those things where 2021 was, in my opinion, and I would say many others, probably one of, if not the best collegiate defense of all time, just from a numbers perspective, the way they were able to, to do a little bit of everything at such a high level, I would kind of put that. The year after, you know, they lost a lot of players, but they still had a lot of first-round talent, notably, you know, Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith. Um, those guys were still on the team. And, you know, while they're there, um, it's still great. And, you know, then those guys leave. And so you're kind of down to the guys that were not starters in that 2021 season, but still but a lot of starters from last year's defense, a lot of just talented guys, still a lot of five stars, which Kirby loves to bring in all the time. So it's like still plenty of talent, but I wouldn't say it's got the same level of punch, the same level of wow factor that it once had. You know, there's not a player on this team that has more than three and a half sacks. And that's Jamon Dumas Johnson. They're one of their inside linebackers. That's currently out with a fractured forearm, Um, you know, there are other guys, Smile London Jr., Jalen Walker, and Walker's one of those hybrid linebacker edges. It's their linebackers that are getting sacks. You know, those are the guys that are finding the quarterback. The next guy down is Michael Williams with two and a half, and he's their defensive end, defensive kind of lineman uh, player. He's got two and a half. So it, it's not like Jalen Carter where a guy's creating tons of havoc and pressure and, and someone's really finding a way to get through. Um it's not that it, it's, it's a much more different. It's a much more well-rounded defense. And even though for the, for four straight games, they've allowed a first drive touchdown, which I'm going to be honest at this rate, I'm expecting it to happen against Tennessee. Again, they still lock up and hold Ole Miss to 17. You know, they still find a way uh, they haven't allowed a team to get over 21 points in a game all year. Um, so it's still a very good defense. Um, their secondary Aside from Dalen Everett, uh, the number two corner who struggled and 
you know, we were expecting to maybe see more Julian Humphrey before he went out with a bit of an upper body injury um, that's been undisclosed. But the secondary themselves has been really great. Javon Bullard had a super athletic interception. Tyke Smith has four interceptions himself. Um, you know, Kamari Lassiter has been has been playing as one of the best cornerbacks in, in college football this year. Malachi Starks, we know what he can do. He's a great player. Um it's a really good secondary full of really good players aside from a, a few struggles from the sophomore corner um, and Dalen Everett, but really you can't complain. It's still a very good defense. They still stop the run pretty well, unless you're going against Cody Schrader, which I think Tennessee fans uh, know just as well as Georgia fans, how hard it is to stop that guy, but everyone else, Georgia has kind of kept them under a hundred yards rushing the one weakness. And I tell this to everybody, the one weakness quarterback run, the quarterback can run, there's a good chance that they're going to run all over Georgia. And, you know, the first time they actually found a way to stop it was against Ole Miss, against Jackson Dart. But if Joe Milton's uh, getting going, uh, it, it could spell a little bit of trouble for Georgia's defense. But other than that, they do a little bit of everything pretty well. There's a lot to unpack with that defense, Owen. You said how many games they've let up a first drive touchdown? I believe four straight it is now. Uh, Vanderbilt, Florida, uh, Missouri and Tennessee, all four games, I believe they let up a, a first drive touchdown. Um, but then, you know, uh, sometimes another, they'll get another one at some point, maybe two. Uh, but for the most part, um, you know, the team doesn't really find the end zone uh, too much more, too many more times after that first drive, um, which is just very interesting. Yeah. And the, it's funny because the MO of Tennessee's offense this year is when they've done good is starting fast and getting in a rhythm. They've scored on the first drive seven of their, I guess, 10 games now. So majority of the games they've scored on the first drive. So that'll be interesting to watch. And you mentioned earlier that Georgia's offense starts slow and picks up in the second half. Well, with Tennessee, it either starts fast or it doesn't start at all. So that's another interesting matchup to watch. A matchup that a lot of Tennessee fans will be watching after this Missouri game on Saturday where Tennessee lost will be the line of scrimmage, which you mentioned. Tennessee could not run the ball against Missouri and then let up a ton of rush yards against Missouri, ended up losing that game. What does Georgia's defense, their run defense, pose? I know Missouri ran on them a little bit. Do you think Jalen Wright and Jabari Small and Dylan Sampson, that running back room, can get a push on Georgia's defensive line? You know, it's tough to think because I think the biggest benefit for Tennessee's running back group is the amount of guys they can bring out there and, and the different ways they can change the pace of the game. Um, Georgia hasn't really faced a, a group like that. You know, they've I mean, Auburn maybe comes the closest, but even then, I don't believe any of their actual running backs got over 50 yards in that game. Um, but I absolutely think they can. Um, the only thing kind of stopping them is Georgia's defense. You know, I think they'll definitely find runs. I think they'll find run opportunities. Um, Quinshawn Judkins found a few of those opportunities. He ended up getting 75. Um, so I absolutely think that Tennessee can find those opportunities. I worry about them finding it consistently. Um, Georgia's defensive line, even though the depth is a little bit weaker than it, it has been in past years, you know, that group still finds a way to rotate guys in constantly. They're finding uh, ways to get all their guys on the field, keeping their, them rested. And then the linebacker unit, you know, Jamon Dumas Johnson, as I said, is down with an injury, but CJ Allen, the freshman stepped up in a big way, led the team in tackles in his first start ever. Um, it's these kind of things that I worry that how consistently they'll be able to do it, especially unlike Ole Miss, who at least has the guy like Trey Harris that just wasn't a big impact. And, you know, uh, guys on the wide receiver unit, Tennessee really has squirrel white and, and Joe Milton has, has struggled to get it to their other guys as, as Tennessee's offense has completely been ravaged by injuries. As you know, we talked about on, on, on uh, the podcast we recorded for the red and black, but 
you know, it's, I, I think that's the biggest thing. I think the consistency would be the biggest uh, weakness and the biggest issue for Tennessee. I think they'll be able to do it. I think there'll be a couple plays where maybe they rattle off a nice 15 yard gain uh, here and there, but I don't know if they'll be able to do it consistently. That's the only fear I have for Tennessee. Tell me a little bit about that game on Saturday with Ole Miss, because a lot of people doubted Georgia going into that game and kind of raised some questions if Ole Miss maybe in Lane Kiffin could pose a threat to his fellow Nick Saban alum, Kirby Smart. But instead, look, Georgia just routed them and probably played their most complete game of the year. What made that game so much better for Georgia or different from maybe their game against Missouri where they kind of hung or let the Tigers hang around the whole game? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and a lot of people were comparing Missouri and Ole Miss, and going into those games, I was more fearful of Missouri simply for the fact that their front sevens and their just overall their fronts, you know, offense and defense, just better than Ole Miss. It's just one of those things that, you know, when you're competitive and when you're good on both those sides and you're able to run stop as well as pass rush equally well on both sides of the ball, um, it's going to be, you're going to have, you're going to be able to execute and, you know, Georgia still maybe is going to eventually still outbeat you in those. And, and they still did in Missouri to a certain extent, but Missouri was able to hold on a lot longer and Ole Miss had a couple moments. They had a couple pushes. They got a couple times where just the team was missing tackles uh, where Georgia was missing tackles, I should say. And then suddenly it clicked. Georgia was getting pressure. Georgia was making tackles. They were bringing guys down the backfield, a big time sack from Nazir Stackhouse. One of their defensive linemen flipped it. And then of course, Javon Bullard interception flipped it even further towards the end of the, the first half. And ultimately that momentum just kept pushing. Um, the crowd noise absolutely was a factor, but it was the, it was the fronts, you know, Georgia absolutely dominated on both of those lines. And just, be, just because Ole Miss doesn't have the same level of guys that Missouri has. And ultimately it just didn't work out for Missouri. It didn't work out for the Rebels um, because it's just it very much is a Kirby Smart adage. It's a very much a, a a classic football, classic, you know, Pop Warner football uh, mentality of just winning, uh, winning the leverage game and just winning, uh, you know, those head to head battles. And, you know, Georgia didn't have as much success in winning those against Missouri. They dominated those against Ole Miss. And I think that's the biggest thing. Um of the difference between those two games is the, that battle. And that's why I was not as afraid of Ole Miss as I was of Missouri. Um, but there also was just an overall vibe. Athens felt different at night playing against a, a top 10 Ole Miss rather than a three thirty game against a, a number 14 Missouri. Um, they shouldn't have Missouri was a, still a very good team. And we saw this this past weekend. Um, but you know, that was just kind of a weird vibe in Athens and that's kind of been their season. Sometimes they're a little bit uh, tired to get things going, but they were they were pretty wide awake in Ole Miss, especially on offense when they just were launching it down the field. Yeah, oh, and now I kind of want to, you know, pan back out to big picture. Obviously, Alabama and Georgia both are locked in, and the SEC championship doesn't really make a difference what happens from here. You've been in Kirby Smart's press conference today. How will this team kind of not stay stagnant to keep going towards the goals they want? Because they already have a trip to Atlanta, and – in theory, if they go to Atlanta and beat Alabama, then they're in the college football playoff no matter what their record is, or at least precedent says they should be. How does this team not stay stagnant and kind of keep moving forward and be encouraged to come into Neyland Stadium and beat Tennessee? I think mostly because they have to. I mean, I think Tennessee is still going to challenge this football team. And, you know, whether it's not just on the field, but it's the crowd, you know, I think they're still going to be challenged. They're still going to have to rise up and, 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 
play good football because if they don't, then they're going to lose. That's that, that is what it is. Tennessee is still a good enough team to do that. So I think overall, I think Tennessee themselves are going to challenge them. Um, I think Tech is a little bit better of a team. You know, the night game atmosphere for whatever reason they they made that game a night game, but that's aside the point. You know, I think there's a there's going to be an interesting atmosphere out there in Bobby Dodd. Uh, but I also think, again, guys are going down, you know, uh, there people having to step up, you know, Brock Bowers is out. He's going to want to prove himself. He's going to want to get back to a, a, that all pro Mackey award winner form. Uh, Lad McConkey has been doing that all year and he's been wanting to get to that. And we've seen certain guys like Rosemary Jack Saint came out really hot and it's kind of cooled down. But, you know, Ra Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovett, two transfers coming in, have both really looked to prove themselves on the field. And, you know, guys like CJ Allen, you know, a freshman getting a start. He, he wants to prove himself. And, and, and it's that that kind of atmosphere, that kind of mentality that I think Kirby Smart has kind of instituted with this team. And it's a lot of the random things kind of going around the program that kind of affect them that that get them to work harder. Getting getting uh, placed number two instead of number one in the college football playoff poll. You know, the little things is one of those things that Georgia just does really well. Um, Tonka Hemingway, you know, had a quote. Um, and, you know, I'll take some fault for it as I brought it up in the press conference, but he had a quote that uh, two of the toughest places he's played is Tennessee and, and LSU. Not a bad quote, you know, like a reasonable two places to pick, but he didn't name Georgia in there. And that's enough fuel to to get them going against a South Carolina team. You know, uh, it, it's enough fuel for Kirby to say that Tonka called Georgia out, you know. Um, meanwhile, he just named two of the toughest places to play in college football. Um but aside from the point, they find ways to do it. They just find the smallest things. They find the ways to do it. Um, they take advantage of these situations of guys going down to give others opportunities. You know, if someone's struggling, you know, you're, you, you'll you get replaced if you don't play well enough. That was kind of the, the Julian Humphrey threat to Dalen Everett until Humphrey went down. They find ways to do it. Uh, and I think all good coaches do uh, find a good way to keep them motivated. And I think the Alabama game itself is going to be the the biggest test of that. Because if they if they're motivated, if they come to play in that one and they really roll over opponent that has beaten them um, all three times they've met in the SEC championship, if they can find a way to get that off their back and play really good football in Atlanta, I would feel pretty solid about them going forward. But that's a, a good few weeks away still. Yeah, it is a good few weeks away. So we'll focus on the game a week away on Saturday. For you, Owen, who are some players that have to stand out if Georgia wants to find success in Knoxville? Yeah, I mean, the easy ones to point to, Carson Beck, Brock Bowers, Lad McConkey, those guys absolutely um, will need to play well, um, as well as just an overall offensive talent. You know, Rosemary Jack Saint, Rob Rob Thomas, you know, Dominic Lovett, all these guys, you know, they just need to play well. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, you know, considering continuing to see good stuff from a guy like CJ Allen, a guy that again, he led he led them in tackles, but can the freshman do it consistently? He'll need to as he's a starter for them. You know, is Dalen Everett going to kind of get some of these off his back? And I'm gonna be frank, that Ole Miss catch that he led up towards the end of the game, that was just a great catch. I'm not even gonna fault Dalen for that. But there were a couple times where he got burnt in coverage. He needs to clean that up. Um the pass rush. Can they get to Joe Milton? They need to get to him once or twice and to make sure that they're having success. Can they get a turnover? You know, fumbles have been super limited for this team. Can that defensive line get those? You know, Peyton Woodring, you know, he had he struggled towards the beginning of the year making field goals. He's been perfect so far making extra points. 
uh, which, you know, Kirby knocked on wood for that when I brought that up at the end of the Ole Miss game. But can he keep that consistent? Um, I think those are the type of guys that really need to step up, as well as just the offensive line as a whole. You know, Dylan Fairchild's been filling out left guard for Xavier Truss, who moved over to right tackle for Marius Mims. Those guys need to continue to hold up. If Mims plays, he needs to stay healthy and he needs to to play well, get back to that, you know, top 10 pick form. It's those type of things that I think Georgia needs to do where they just need to be consistent. Uh, I think um, I wouldn't say they need to play much better than they played yesterday. I don't know how much better they could play other than, again, maybe more sacks or more turnovers. Um, scoring on every drive instead of all but two. Uh, um, um scoring more points in less than nine plays. Uh, I don't know. They got 14 and nine plays against Ole Miss. Like, again, I don't think there's much higher of a ceiling you can really want from this team, but I think you just want consistency. I am sure Kirby Smart found something wrong with their performance on Saturday to ask for more this weekend. But now that we've gotten some players to look out for and, you know, had their best game on Saturday, coming into Tennessee – what would your two or three keys to this matchup for Georgia to find success? What would your keys be for the Bulldogs? Yeah, I would say, I think, I think something that they need to do is, you know, simply get the run game going. Um, it's something that has, you know, gotten Tennessee in the past and a run game is the best way to shut down a crowd. Um, of course, a 40-yard bomb is going to also kind of quiet a crowd down, but that's not as easy of a thing. But if Georgia's consistently picking up first downs, usually using Dejon Edwards or Kendall Milton, who had you know, his probably best game of his career against Ole Miss, if, if those guys are playing at that level and, and just constantly moving, the like Cedric Van Pran and Tate Ratledge and the entire O-line is just getting the push that Georgia needs, you know, if they can get the run game going, I feel like they're going to have success. The other key, um, I think, for Georgia is limit Tennessee's running game. You know, establish their own, limit Tennessee's. Uh, if Tennessee's really gets going, if they're able to get over 100, um, that's going to be brutal, um, especially if it's Joe Milton that's having a lot of success. Uh, I know we've talked about before that, you know, a lot of Tennessee's losses had Joe Milton as the leading rusher. Um that could be the case this one, but it's also Joe Milton's rushing could be what keeps Tennessee in it. Georgia needs to limit Joe Milton and the rest of those running backs uh, from getting out of the backfield. And overall, I think just playing their game. It's a very, it's a very basic, not very fun key, but just consistently in play consistency in playing their game. Uh, despite the crowd noise, despite the unfamiliar territory, they just need to play their game. Keep it simple. Keep it moving. Um, if they do that, I think Georgia will be just fine on the road, but you know, uh, the only road game, quote unquote, they, they had a lot of success in was that neutral site against Florida. So we'll see how they do, uh, in Neyland this weekend. Yep. Your keys differ exactly from what I would say Tennessee's keys are. So that means we're doing something right. I guess I, <laughs> Tennessee's got to run the ball, get the offense in a rhythm, which would be playing their game, starting fast. Georgia doesn't start fast, so Tennessee's got to start fast, and then they have to stop Georgia's offense because if their offense, if Tennessee's offense starts struggling, then you got to hope that Georgia is not putting up points. So now that we've got the keys out of the way, Owen, what do you see happening on Saturday night, and what is your score prediction for the game? Yeah, I think Georgia's going to take this one uh, mostly because they're just rolling right now. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they faltered a little bit as they have kind of in the season, but I still think they probably take this one. They've been punched in the mouth so many times that 
even if they get punched in the mouth uh, again, uh, I still think they'll find a way to win this one. I've got Georgia winning this one 38 13 uh, over the volunteers. And I still think Tennessee is going to put up a fight. I still, I honestly think they're going to get that touchdown on that first drive just because it happens every single week. Uh, but from there, I think they might struggle a little bit to really get down the field. Um, but I still think they're going to put up points. Uh, but I think Georgia will too. Either way, I think it's, I still think it's going to be a fun game, whether the score is close or not. Yep, I would agree with you there. And I do not discredit you for saying it's going to be a blowout because I could easily see that game getting away from Tennessee quickly on Saturday, especially after what we saw at Missouri. So, Owen, as always, I appreciate you coming on here to preview this game. Had a lot of fun podcasting with you twice now, I guess oh, would yeah. be. And then basketball season's coming up. I don't think we'll do one for – Georgia baseball, unfortunately, no offense, but I don't know if that's much of a competition, but basketball will be back. Why don't you oh, let yeah. us know where people can find you and find the red and black, what y'all are working on there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can find everything the red and black is doing at red and black slash sports. Uh, that's where all of our content is at. Uh, and again, uh, that's where you can get that uh, sweet, amazing equestrian content, even without uh, the, the horse uh, mug shots. Um, but of course we've got great volleyball coverage continuing on, uh, even though the team, uh, isn't reaching crazy heights, but you know, it is the soccer team they're traveling. We'll have plenty of coverage for you there, uh, as well as, uh, for this, uh, basketball season. Uh, and of course all things football, as far as that goes. And if you want to see anything else that I'm doing, uh, including, uh, me, uh, promoting, uh, the podcast we did earlier today, as we're recording this one, uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Owen underscore warden underscore, uh, I post everything there. Uh, and if you're ever interested in what Kirby Smart and the players are saying, it's not too much, but uh, I always cover it over there. But yeah, either way, uh, Caleb, dude, this was a pleasure. It's always so much fun to do this. So thank you for so uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for y'all to travel up here to Knoxville this weekend. So with all that being said, I have to run so I can read some of the Red and Black's equestrian coverage for <laughs> Owen Ward for Owen Ward in this way. I'm Caleb, and this has been another production of the Daily Beacon Sports Podcast.